the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Entire San Francisco Bay Area. We're pretty much surrounded right now between what's going on in the East Bay, along the peninsula there, down toward uh, La Honda on the San Mateo County coast, up towards Vacaville. And so, uh, boy, you know, uh, certainly these are trying times. Scripture reminds us that there would be times when men's hearts would fail for fear. And I don't know that we're necessarily there yet, but when you add all of the turmoil going on related to COVID-19, the fires, heat wave, threats of rolling power outages, boy, it's um, certainly interesting times in which we live, to be sure. Well, we continue with our coverage of Decision 2020, highlights of the Democrat National Convention, and we will continue through the rest of the week. As I mentioned on yesterday's program, uh, we will do this next week as well at the Republican National Convention. We typically, every four years, provide you as much coverage as we possibly can during our two hours so that you get a chance to hear the party positions, the platforms, the speakers, and then ultimately make a decision for yourself. I think it's vital that every voter, every citizen, be an informed citizen, and you need to understand where the parties sit, where they believe, what they stand for. And uh, oftentimes have encouraged you down through the years to not just take my word for it or the word of um, some individual that says, I've looked into it, here's what you need to think or believe, but rather to investigate for yourself. So it is in that spirit of full disclosure, also perhaps a bit of a sense of oftentimes that these events hung by the tongue that you get a chance to hear exactly what's going on what the positions are the party platform and then ultimately can search your heart and then vote accordingly so with that spirit in mind we we launch into today's convention analysis in a moment first we hear from the chairman of the democrat national committee tom perez it's great to be here in Milwaukee, a proud union town whose grit and character reflect the resilience of our party and our country. There's no doubt these last few months have been tough, but good leadership means being able to adapt to any situation. And I want to thank the people of Milwaukee for being such gracious and flexible hosts. It's also great to be back in Wisconsin, where I was lucky enough to marry my wife, Anne Marie, a little more than three decades ago. The progressive movement has deep roots here. And since today is the 100th anniversary of the 19th Amendment's ratification, we should point out that Wisconsin was the first state to ratify it. What's more, in its one-word motto, forward, Wisconsin captures something so important about America. The way that no matter what challenges today brings, we always believe a better future is possible. That's what my parents believed when they emigrated to this country nearly a century ago, fleeing the iron fist of a brutal dictator in the Dominican Republic. 
This nation welcomed them with compassion, and they quickly learned that their hope of building a better life through hard work was shared by generations of Americans. Indeed, every American story is a story about that hope, that sense of possibility. It's what unites us, defines us, and it's what sustains us now. We will work to meet our extraordinary challenges because progress is made by the hopeful, not the cynical. And we will do that work together because movements are built by the many, not the few. And as you watch tonight's decidedly unconventional roll call and reflect on the diversity of our nation, remember, you too are part of the American story. And no matter where you come from or where you're watching from tonight, you have a place in Joe Biden's Democratic Party. As our coverage of Decision 2020, highlights of the Democrat National Convention continues, here are some takeaways from the second night of the convention, when former Vice President Joe Biden was formally designated as the Democratic 2020 nominee. In some ways, the DNC has thus far felt as much as a messaging operation as an effort to bait President Trump. On Monday night, for example, former First Lady Michelle Obama led the effort, calling into question President Trump's fitness for office. Much of the attacks on the president seem to be the overarching message of the convention, also seemingly intended to get the president's goat. The president also suggested early Tuesday night that he was indeed watching the convention. Generally, you'd like to have your convention to be about your candidate. Jill Biden's speech, focused on her husband and his character, was the exception. Democrats in 2016 bemoaned Trump's ability to constantly dominate the news. There were a few things about the virtual convention so far that seemed to be better than in person. One, for example, is the roll call. And what is normally a pretty boring process involving representatives from each state announcing how many delegates had gone for each candidate, Tuesday instead brought an opportunity for a more compelling trip around the country and to seven separate territories. Each state got a chance to display a scene and offer a message it wanted to emphasize. The representatives from Oklahoma and Texas, for example, took the opportunity to point to tragedies in Tulsa a century ago and El Paso last year. Puerto Rico and other territories emphasized they were U.S. citizens too. Tennessee noting that it was the deciding state on giving women the right to vote. Wisconsin was noted as the first state to ratify the 19th Amendment. Perhaps it was all because we're all largely confined to our homes and our communities, but it seemed to provide some variety and work better than some of the same representatives shouting into a packed convention hall microphone. It'll be interesting to see how Republicans handle their roll call next week. Former President Bill Clinton, who has spoken at every Democrat national convention since 1980, made his brief appearance. The former president spoke for about five minutes in a strikingly brief address for a man who's known for delivering lengthy stem winders that often last longer than convention organizers would really like, 40, 50 minutes or more. Part of the brief address was due to the necessity of changes in format in which speeches like Clinton's are overwhelmingly taped. But the early, almost perfunctory appearance also made a striking departure from where the Democrat Party has been for the last 28 years since Clinton was first nominated for president. The Clintons also found themselves increasingly on the outs with the modern Democrat Party, in large part due to the Me Too movement and in part due to the disappointment of the 2016 election. Hillary Clinton, though, is still scheduled to speak 
and it'll be interesting to see what kind of platform she's ultimately afforded. As we get into the uh, convention highlights, let's uh, first begin with Senator Chuck Schumer of the state of New York. Hi, this is Senator Chuck Schumer, Democratic leader from my hometown, Brooklyn, New York. Behind me is a sight I see out of my window every night, the Statue of Liberty, the same sight that greeted hopeful immigrants like my grandparents, a symbol of freedom and a beacon of hope to the world. Today, Donald Trump has divided our country, diminished our greatness, and demeaned everything that this statue represents. He even hid in a bunker as Americans were tear-gassed and beaten. Millions are jobless. 170,000 Americans have died from COVID. And Donald Trump says it is what it is. President should never say it is what it is. President Lincoln, honoring the great sacrifice at Gettysburg, didn't say it is what it is. President Roosevelt, seeing a third of the nation ill-housed, ill-clad, and ill-nourished, didn't say it is what it is. America, Donald Trump has quit on you. We need a president with dignity, integrity, and the experience to lead us out of this crisis. A man with a steady hand and a big heart who will never, ever quit on America. That man is my friend, Joe Biden. He will be a great president. But if we're going to win this battle for the soul of our nation, Joe can't do it alone. Democrats must take back the Senate. We will stay united from Sanders and Warren to Manchin and Warner. And with our unity, we will bring bold and dramatic change to our country. Let me tell you some of the things we do. With President Biden, Vice President Harris in a Democratic majority, we will make health care affordable for all. We'll undo the vicious inequality of income and wealth that has plagued America for far too long. And we'll take strong, decisive action to combat climate change and save the planet. We will protect voting rights, fight systemic racism in the criminal justice system and in our economy, and restore a Supreme Court that looks out for people, not corporations. We'll rebuild our infrastructure and make sure every home from inner city to rural America has broadband. We will save the post office and once and for all defeat COVID-19, this evil disease. And beckoned by the lady behind us, we will reform our immigration system so that immigrants yearning to breathe free will at last become American citizens. Together, we can reignite the hope once felt by millions of men and women huddled masses on creaking ships who glimpsed this mighty women, woman with her torch, knowing they could build a better life here in America. And out of this long national nightmare, America will finally awaken to a brighter future and a new day. You're listening to Decision 2020, highlights of the Democrat National Convention on AM 1100 KFAX.
Welcome back to our coverage of Decision 2020 highlights of the Democrat National Convention here on KFAX. As I mentioned in some of my opening remarks, historically, Bill Clinton has been a fixture at every single Democrat convention going back more than 20 years now. And certainly over that course of time, it's always anticipated that his address will easily break 45, 50 minutes, sometimes even an hour. Not so much now, particularly with the new format. This is unbelievable, but Bill Clinton's address just lasting under five minutes. Good evening. A presidential election is the world's most important job interview. At the end, we hire a leader to help us solve problems, create opportunities, and give our kids better tomorrows. That's a tall order this year. With the COVID-19 outbreak on a path to killing 200,000 people and destroying millions of jobs and small businesses. How did Donald Trump respond? At first, he said the virus was under control and would soon disappear. When it didn't, he was on TV every day bragging on what a great job he was doing, while our scientists waited to give us vital information. When he didn't like the expert advice he was given, he ignored it. Only when COVID exploded in even more states did he encourage people to wear masks. By then, many more were dying. When asked about the surge in deaths, he shrugged and said, it is what it is. But did it have to be this way? No. COVID hit us much harder than it had to. We have just 4% of the world's population, but 25% of the world's COVID cases. Our unemployment rate is more than twice as high as South Korea's, two and a half times the United Kingdom's, more than three times Japan's. Donald Trump says we're leading the world. Well, we are the only major industrial economy to have its unemployment rate tripled. At a time like this, the Oval Office should be a command center. Instead, it's a storm center. There's only chaos. Just one thing never changes. His determination to deny responsibility and shift the blame. The buck never stops there. Now you have to decide whether to renew his contract or hire someone else. If you want a president who defines the job as spending hours a day watching TV and zapping people on social media, he's your man. Denying, distracting, and demeaning works great if you're trying to entertain or inflame. But in a real crisis, it collapses like a house of cards. COVID just doesn't respond to any of that. To beat it, you've got to actually go to work and deal with the facts. Our party is united in offering you a very different choice a go-to-work president, a down-to-earth, get-the-job-done guy, a man with a mission to take responsibility, not shift the blame, concentrate, not distract, unite, not divide. Our choice is Joe Biden. Joe helped bring us back from a recession before, and he can do it again. In 2009, Barack Obama and Joe Biden started with the worst economy since the Great Depression. And when they were done, they delivered more than six straight years of job growth. What did Joe do? He accepted responsibility for implementing the Recovery Act. His work created a lot of new jobs and started many new companies in communities across our country. Now Joe's committed to building America back again. How? He's given us smart, detailed plans to invest in areas vital to our future. Innovative financing for modern factories and small businesses. Good jobs in green energy and conservation to combat climate change a modern infrastructure that brings small-town and rural America the connectivity and investment others take for granted, and a plan to ensure 
that black Americans, Latino Americans, Native Americans, women, immigrants, and other communities left behind are full participants in our economy and our society. Joe Biden wants to build an economy far better suited to our changing world. Better for young people, better for families working and raising their kids, better for people who lost jobs and need new ones, better for farmers tired of being collateral damage in trade wars, better for workers caring for the sick, elderly, and people with disabilities, better because of a living wage and access to affordable higher education and health care, including prescription drugs, and to child care, a secure retirement, and for the first time, paid family and medical leave. Joe won't just put his signature on a check and try to fool you into thinking it came from him. He'll work to make sure that your paycheck reflects your contribution to and your stake in a growing economy. In this job interview, the difference is stark. You know what Donald Trump will do with four more years? Blame, bully, and belittle. And you know what Joe Biden will do? Build back better. It's Trump's us versus them America against Joe Biden's America, where we all live and work together. It's a clear choice. The future of our country is riding on it. Thank you. Remarks from the DNC convention by former President Bill Clinton. One of the other people to make an appearance is former member of the Georgia House of Representatives, Stacey Abrams. This nation belongs to all of us. And in every election, we choose how we will create a more perfect union. Not by taking sides, but by taking stock of where we are and what we need. This year's choice could not be more clear. America faces a triple threat, a public health catastrophe, an economic collapse, and a reckoning with racial justice and inequality. So our choice is clear. A steady, experienced public servant who can lead us out of this crisis just like he's done before. Or a man who only knows how to deny and distract. A leader who cares about our families or a president who only cares about himself. We know Joe Biden. America, we need Joe Biden. To make your voice heard, text VOTE to 30330. In a democracy, we do not elect saviors. We cast our ballots for those who see our struggles and pledge to serve, who hear our dreams and work to make them real, who defend our way of life by protecting our right to vote. Faced with a president of cowardice, Joe Biden is a man of proven courage. He will restore our moral compass by confronting our challenges, not by hiding from them or undermining our elections to keep his job. In a time of voter suppression at home and authoritarians abroad, Joe Biden will be a champion for free and fair elections, for a public health system that keeps us safe, for an economy that we build back better than before, and for accountability and integrity in our system of justice. We stand with Joe Biden. Because this isn't just about defeating Donald Trump. We are in this to win for America. So let's get it done. You're listening to Decision 2020. Highlights of the Democrat National Convention on AM 1100 KFAX.
Welcome back to Decision 2020, highlights of the Democrat National Convention here on KFAX. And as we uh, sort of pause in the action for the moment here, if you've been paying close attention over the last couple of days here, you'll note that amongst all of the talk and all of the campaigning related to um, the push for Joe Biden, that while the convention speeches have perhaps been long on criticism of the current administration. They've been very short on policy, and in particular, some of the more urgent policies that need to be addressed and and certainly are continuing to present a challenge, and that is related, of course, to COVID-19 and education. With the reopening of public schools, at least sort of, um, we are facing constant challenges in daily life, and most certainly as the adults clearly struggle to deal with these issues. Imagine how a child is feeling. Going back to school or going back to virtual reality school amidst all of the uncertainty related to when will they ever get back into the classroom and once they do, what will that look like? And how do you go about keeping elementary school children not only a safe distance from each other, but without touching their faces and maintaining wearing a face mask all the time. The parent of every kindergartner knows how challenging all that can be. And of course, as the adults struggle with this, kids oftentimes too um, are facing fear of so much of the unknown. How do we go about to um, encourage our kids during these troubling times and, and look after their well-being, not only physically, but also spiritually and emotionally? Joining me now is Dr. Tyler Sexton, Dr. Sexton is chair of pediatrics at Singing River Hospital in Pascagoula, Mississippi. He has been the um, focus of a number of not only interviews and certainly appearances on everything from the 700 Club to the Hour of Power and focused on the family. He is the author, by the way, of a newly released book called No Such Thing as Can'ts, newly released by Focus on the Family and Tyndale House Publishers. And Dr. Sexton, great to have you with us. Well, thank you, sir. Thanks for having me tonight. We are certainly dealing with a whole generation now of children that are facing um, some pretty unique challenges, challenges that perhaps are, are certainly unknown to their parents' generation, and maybe we have to go back to their great-grandparents uh, or even further um, to a time when America faced so many challenges in so many ways in which there is a, an overwhelming sense of fear of the unknown and, and uh, wonder of the future, and not wonder with a sense of bright eyes, but wonder with a sense perhaps of fear. You certainly in your own life story, Dr. Sexton, have overcome some enormous challenges, and perhaps there are some life experiences from the challenges you have faced uh, both as a child and even as a professional that can help parents today understand how to communicate many of these important lessons that our, our children really need to hear from us, that sense of, of not only reassurance, but that sense of can-do in a time when we seem to be receiving nothing but messages about no, we can't. Share, if you would, uh, Dr. Sexton, first a little bit of your own unique background. Understand that you were born with cerebral palsy. Tell us about that. Sure. So, yes, I was a 28-weeker, and I was born, my parents, they basically told my parents they'd keep my body warm so they could hold me for the first last time for they buried me. There wasn't much hope for my survival. They said that if I did survive, that I'd be blind, mentally disabled, and never walk. Um, they told 
my parents, you should just go ahead and let go home and let Tyler, you know, die because you know there won't he won't amount to much. And you know, uh, every day my parents would be in the NICU with these other with these other families, and they learned how to hold on to God. Uh, it was more than just words, right? Or pious platitudes. It was they were holding on to God with their fingernails, um, and they stood by and watched some kids lose the fight in the NICU and, and some win. Uh, by the time I was 18 months old, I still couldn't sit up. Um, my parents knew something was very wrong, and I was diagnosed. I went to the doctor, of course, and like any other mother or father, they thought, of course, the doctor's going to find out what's wrong. We're going to fix it. And, of course, I'm a spastic diaplegic, which means from the waist down, I'm, a, I'm affected with cerebral palsy, and it's the most common type of severe premature cerebral palsy in pediatrics in these kids. And so 16 surgeries later, months of hospital care, um, here I sit in front of you, um, and I've learned that God can take a tragedy and turn it into a triumph. But it wasn't easy. Um, there were countless times that um, I was never supposed to do something. You'll never walk. You'll never talk. And I've learned that people say no, and God says yes. And it's been a, a real privilege to be able to, to share part of my story and what I've been going through uh, to these children. Because when I can say I know how you feel, um, I mean it. And I've, I've been where some of these kids have been. You know, and in that regard, it makes you very unique because you've overcome a lot of physical adversity. Uh, and quite frankly, a, a fair amount of being told, no, you can't, that's impossible, uh, to downright bullying by your peers, everything from school all the way on up to even medical school. And yet you've been able to not only um, survive, but to thrive through these circumstances. And and I guess that leads to one of the, the core questions here, as I alluded to a moment ago. Um, we as adults are struggling with so many policy-related issues um, during this current political season, trying to figure out how we can best respond. But I think in the process of trying to figure out our own way, we mustn't forget the enormous stress that so many kids are under. If they look to mom and dad for a sense of, of, of certainty and, uh, and hope, and yet mom and dad have this look of fear on their faces, that's just going to ex you know, uh, exacerbate the, 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 the sense of the impossible for so many of these kids. Share, if you would, Dr. Sexton, from your own experience, some of the key lessons that you think we as parents today need to be passing on to our children so that they can get that sense of, as your book title suggests, there's no such thing as can't. Sure, and, and that's a great thing, and you're right. This, the world we're living in right now is is just unique. And one thing I will tell people all the time is in order to fight your fear, you have to feed your faith. And it, it, I've learned that very much in my own life. You know, um, when I was younger, and then even as I got older, there's been so many times in my life where I was told, it can't be done, you'll never be able to do this. And, for example, you know, all in, in our lives, you know, it talks about in the Bible where it says, the word is a lamp at our feet. It's step by step. It doesn't talk about a, a fog light or a flashlight or a spotlight. Because I'll tell you, and I'll tell you some stories in my own life, if I knew what I was going to overcome, if I knew what I was going to experience, I would never have taken this, the next step. And so sometimes I, I encourage these parents, you don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to know what's going to happen next. You just have to take it step by step and trust in God. You know, you have to walk the rocks to see the mountain views. And there's going to be rocks in this life. We well know that. But you'll be amazed how God can turn those mountain views into incredible scenery just by stepping on every day. And that became very abundantly clear to me, even as early as fourth grade. I'll never forget, I was um, in fourth grade, and there was a substitute PE teacher. And I was trying my—we were doing PE, and I was trying my clumsy attempts of jumping jacks. Um, and I was jumping up and down, 
And the PE teacher substitute said, hey, kid, is that the best you can do? Quit clowning around. And that was the mm. best that I could do. All my friends were laughing. The whole, the whole school saw it. I went home that day, and I, I did, told my mom I didn't want to be me anymore. And she took me to my room, and she started throwing everything out of my room, my toys, my uh, pictures, my Nintendo. Who doesn't love a Nintendo, right? So she threw everything out, and she said, Who can't, what can't I take away from you? And I started to cry angrily, bitterly. I said, I don't know. You've taken everything. She kept throwing everything out. She said, who, what can't I take away from you? I said, I don't know. She said, I can't take away who God made you and the spirit he gave you, that I was alive and I'm me and I was a blessing. And I learned that the further I got along, that sometimes the disease or the diagnosis itself is worse than the disease, that you only handicap yourself by choice. And in this world that we're living right now, no matter what you're hearing, it can be paralyzed by fear. And I'm not saying to not use some of those things and, and make those decisions uh, to the best of our ability to protect our families, but at the same time to let fear cripple us. If I allowed that to do that in my own life, and, and I wouldn't be sitting in front of you as a doctor today. And so I've learned how to take you know, my fears and then turn them in my stumbling block. I've turned them into stepping stone. And I encourage these parents to do the same in these children and for their kids, just to know, you know what, it's okay to be worried, it's okay to be trepidatious, but to not let it control you. And as you said, put up um, you know, a spirit of um, awareness uh, and, and victory uh, when you're working with your, your children and your own families in, in all this time. And, you know, I'm reminded of the fact that Scripture tells us that, that it rains on the, the, the good and the bad, right? Uh, and and yeah, with absolutely. that sense, we oftentimes need to, to face that reality. And as you suggest, Dr. Sexton, it is not necessarily the circumstances that cripple us, but our own attitude, our own response to those circumstances. So whether you're, you're good or evil, it's going to rain on the just and the unjust. And yet, how you go about responding to that is really going to be key to whether or not you are living in defeat or can, in fact, defeat that which is challenging you so that you can begin to live in victory. No, that's absolutely right. And for me, like I've said before in my own life, my disability gives me credibility. You know, I've always said I'd rather walk with a limp in Christ than with a strut in the world. You know, I've seen too much and I know too much to have denied the power of what God has done in my life and in my family's life. And that's exactly it. And so I'm so thankful. I would tell people, like you said, praise Him in the storm. You know, God doesn't say if the storm comes. He said when they come. And if you build your house on the rock or on me, it will stand. And I think that, you know, a lot of times I'm thankful for cerebral palsy. I'm thankful for the turmoil that it, it put in our lives. I'm thankful for the ridicule from the children all the way up to the physicians and the doctors and the professors that said, you'll never be a doctor. Forget that dream. That cannot happen. And I would not let anybody come see you. And now I have a waiting list. And now I'm the chair of pediatrics. And the point of that is not to say, um, because it's not about me. It's about Jesus. Every day we live, we have a chance to impact somebody's life for Christ, and we don't know what a high five or a hug can do for somebody. And the same stance is you don't know how much and what God is doing in the midst of our circumstances. You know, it's kind of like this. I'm a, I'm a big nerd. I like uh, art, you know, and I'm a mosaic fan. And for those of you out there, you, you, know, you know, I'm talking about a contemporary mosaic where you look at a picture and it looks like a bunch of random photos. Why is that one here? And why is that one there? And I don't understand. And it looks like it doesn't make any sense. But as you notice, if you take that, if you pan back on that picture, the mosaic is complete. And I learned very, very quickly that my own life, my own mosaic, my cerebral palsy, if you took that out of my picture, I wouldn't have a complete picture. And there's so many times in our lives, in what we're going through, in this pandemic and this world that we're living in right now is proof of it, where in our own minds we want to take these pictures out. We, we don't think it makes any sense. Why is that? Why, God, why are you doing this? You know, it's hard to ask God 
for you know any you know a, a little bit of something when we all need so much. But God, we need to take the lid off a little because a little bit of faith in my life turned into a big miracle in my life, making me get, become a doctor. And I think we forget so much. We're trying to get to A to Z, and God says, "Trust me from A to B, not A to Z." Because if you trust me from A to B, I'll get you all the way to Z. And that's what happens. And I think that we need to take the lid off a little because God loves little. And he took a little handicapped boy and he turned him into something special so that I could look at you and say, God has a purpose and a plan for your children. God has a purpose and a plan in the midst of your circumstances and in the midst of our um, sorrows. And he can turn something beautiful into your life and in your story. I appreciate you sharing that. I, I reminds me of, I think it's the painter Monet, and they often say that if you look at his, his work up close, it doesn't make any sense. You have to stand back, and the minute you do, the, the image and the beauty begins to emerge. And sometimes we can be so focused on just little tiny details, just one little tiny square of that mosaic that we don't see any beauty in it. We wonder why it even exists and are tempted to get a chisel and pull it out thinking there's no value. Then when we stand back and look at the large picture and realize that it, too, plays a role in the bigger picture, then we begin to, as the scripture says, go from seeing a glass darkly to see him as he is. And he certainly wants us to see ourselves as he sees us. Dr. Tyler Sexton, again, the book is called No Such Thing as Can't, newly published by Focus on the Family and Tyndale House. You can get more information, order it online too, through the usual suspects, through Focus on the Family, or more information through Dr. Sexton's website, simply Tyler Sexton, S-E-X-T-O-N, tylersexton.com. Dr. Sexton, thanks so much for your time today. You're listening to Decision 2020, highlights of the Democrat National Convention on AM 1100 KFAX. Welcome back to Decision 2020, highlights of the Democrat National Convention here on AM 1100 KFAX. A reminder as we um, make our way through this week that uh, next week, of course, when the um, Republicans have their uh, virtual convening of their convention, we will provide coverage each evening as well. We continue on with our coverage. Next up is Sally Yates, former Deputy Attorney General. Good evening. I'm Sally Yates. Speaking at a political convention is something I never expected to be doing. But the future of our democracy is at stake. I'm here in my hometown of Atlanta, where as a young lawyer I joined our nation's Justice Department. For nearly 30 years, through Democratic and Republican administrations, I worked alongside my DOJ colleagues to advance our nation's promise of equal justice. I served as Deputy Attorney General in the Obama-Biden administration and stayed on as Acting Attorney General for the Trump transition. Then, 10 days in, I was fired for refusing to defend President Trump's shameful and unlawful Muslim travel ban. That was the start of his relentless attacks on our democratic institutions and 
countless dedicated public servants. Like me, these officials didn't swear an oath to a person or a party. Public servants promised to defend our Constitution, uphold our laws, and work on behalf of the American people. But from the moment President Trump took office, he's used his position to benefit himself rather than our country. He's trampled the rule of law, trying to weaponize our Justice Department to attack his enemies and protect his friends. Rather than standing up to Vladimir Putin, he fawns over a dictator who is still trying to interfere in our elections. He's even trying to sabotage our postal service to keep people from being able to vote. His constant attacks on the FBI, the free press, inspectors general, federal judges, they all have one purpose, to remove any check on his abuse of power. Put simply, he treats our country like it's his family business, this time bankrupting our nation's moral authority at home and abroad. But our country doesn't belong to him. It belongs to all of us. Joe Biden embraces that. He has spent his entire life putting our country first. He has never backed down from a challenge or a bully. He summons the best in us and lives by the values that define us as Americans. Service, integrity, courage, compassion. There are countless stories of Joe Biden reaching out to someone in their moment of need. Well, this is our country's moment of need. We need a president who respects our laws and the privilege of public service, who reflects our values and cares about our people. We need a president who will restore the soul of America. We need Joe Biden. That was former Deputy Attorney General Sally Yates. Well, as we heard earlier in the hour, Bill Clinton was not the only former president to make an appearance during the DNC virtual convention. Reaching back some four decades, former President Jimmy Carter and his wife Rosalind also made an appearance. It's a great pleasure for Jimmy and me to join you in celebrating our next president of the United States, Joe Biden. We've known and admired Joe and Jill for many years, and most recently, I've worked with them on tackling the demands faced by the more than 53 million unpaid caregivers in our country who are juggling work and other family responsibilities and putting their own physical and mental health and well-being at risk. Joe knows well, too well, the sorrows and struggles of being a family caregiver. From Joe's time as a young widower, thrust into single parenthood with a demanding job, to he and Jill caring for their own parents and that's on both at the end of their lives. He knows caregiving is hard, even on the good days. Jill and I also know the challenges of caregiving for those who served in the military and returned with visible and invisible wounds. And we know those caregivers need a leader in the White House. Jimmy and I are voting for Joe because he recognizes the challenges facing our families and has the heart and the talent 
to make life better for all Americans. When I ran for president in 1976, Joe Biden was my first and most effective supporter in the Senate. For decades, he has been my loyal and dedicated friend. Joe has the experience, character, and decency to bring us together and restore America's greatness. We deserve a person with integrity and judgment, someone who is honest and fair, someone who is committed to what is best for the American people. Joe is that kind of leader, and he is the right person for this moment in our nation's history. He understands that honesty and dignity are essential traits that determine not only our vision, but our actions. More than ever, that's what we need. During these uncertain times, Joe Biden realizes that many American lives can be saved each day through the use of masks and testing as recommended by our medical experts. Joe Biden must be our next president. There is Rosalind and, um, of course, um, former President Jimmy Carter, the oldest living president at the age of 95. You're listening to Decision 2020, highlights of the Democrat National Convention on AM 1100 KFAX.